Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. What a celebration of the game it was yesterday at the MCG. 86,000 attending the final of the Women's World T20 at the Great Coliseum of Australian Cricket. What a momentous day for the women's game generally and a tremendous performance put in, of course, by the Australians as well to win that tournament. They are undoubtedly the strongest women's team around, but it really has put down a fantastic legacy for the women's game and for women's cricket generally. I was listening to a lot of it on the radio, actually, and and the buzz was absolutely compelling, the atmosphere in in the ground and so on. Of course, one of the things that the women's game has done is it's brought more commentators through, commentating both on TV and radio, which has been a great transition for the game. And I suppose it made me think that it's now just about 30 years since I've been a commentator, same for you, Simon, mm. as well. So we thought today we'd talk about life in the commentary box and, and what it's like. Yeah, we're going to talk about the, the practice of cricket commentary, how we approach commentary, uh, what we think works and what doesn't work, how it's changed over the years, uh, the times it's gone wrong as well, because it does go wrong from time to time and people are very quick to point it out, especially on social media these days and perhaps some of the people we've worked with as well. So I got into cricket commentary first by actually doing the telephone commentary, which was around in the the 80s. The first time I did TV, I got invited along to commentate from the Oval and that West semi-final. And I thought I would just be sort of introduced into the commentary box to sit at the back and listen to the masters of Tony Lewis and Tom Graveney and um, and Boyks, obviously, uh, listen to them waxing lyrical, and I'd get a go in the afternoon. In fact, I turned up at 10 o'clock... And they said to me, uh, you better get downstairs because you're in vision with Richie Benno five minutes before the show starts uh, to talk about the two teams. So there was no chance really to get nervous straight in at the deep end. Well, what I about thought, you? I thought it would be a lot of pressure actually with R- Richie first up, isn't it? Isn't that intimidating? Not at all. It, it was uh, Richie was brilliant actually. He just said, imagine you're talking to me and, and forget about the cameras yeah. and all the kind of people standing behind the cameras because there's always a, a team of people, especially with TV, it's always an endless stream of people runners and producers and sound men and lighting and all that. So you have to just try and put that out of your mind. You asked me how I got into it. Well, actually, actually, you mentioned doing telephone commentary and there was something called Cricket Call around in the late 80s and early 90s. Some people listening to this might remember it. Basically, you phoned a number and got the commentary of the, the county or 
if it was an England match, you got the commentary of the England game that you, you wanted to catch up on. And that's how I got into it. I worked for Cricket Call for a, a while. I did some county cricket and I did some England test matches. And I started off doing that and that's how I first started commentating on cricket. And then I got a job at the BBC and gradually over time I sort of showed... I was interested in the game and I remember taking some unpaid leave actually to go to Australia to cover an England A tour for various outlets, wherever I could get work from, uh, local newspapers or national newspapers or, or BBC radio. And they took some reports and, and it went from there. Peter Baxter, who was the, the cricket producer, gave me an opportunity and it's, it just sort of developed over time. And I did my first test match for TMS in 1996, which was a memorable game because it was the first test match ever that finished as a draw with scores level that and David uh, Bumble Lloyd afterwards said we we flip and murder them but of course it you know it, it, they didn't because it finished in a draw although I could sort of see his point in that they did sort of outplay them but they weren't able quite to get over the line so that's sort of roughly uh, in a nutshell how it started for me and what in a way are the principles of radio commentary I mean do you turn up in the morning very well prepared and what are you seeking to do mm. well I hope I turn up uh, well prepared. I mean, di- different people approach it in different ways. Some people do just turn up and say it as they see it. Some people are you know, do make whole sort of pages and uh, of notes. I, I, I think in terms of preparation, I I want to know something about every. Uh, sounds, sounds very obvious, really. I want to know something about every player who's playing. Uh, you know, some background on them. You know, how they've been getting on recently. How many test matches they played. Say, if it's a test match average centuries just you know just that sense that you you know the player enough to talk about them and then from there my job is to describe as precisely as possible this is how I see it my job is to describe as precisely as possible what I see going on out on the field and I see each ball really as a story that has a beginning middle and an end so I like my summariser, if possible, it doesn't always happen, mind you, to be quiet. To not interrupt you. (laughs) To have my summariser not talk um, when the bowler is just running in to bowl. And I don't really want them to talk again. I don't want to hear from them, really, until I have said something like, the ball is in the wicketkeeper's gloves, two have been scored or two runs to the total, 161 for two. And and that is the basis for it, really, to describe that whole action. Bowler bowls, Smith bowls to Jones, Jones drives, goes out to deep extra cover, picked up by Moulton Brown, sends in the return to Butler, two to the total, then the score, perhaps with the batsman total included as well. And and that is the, that is the fundamental basis of it, as I see it as a commentator, and to be allowed to describe that whole action, really. So that it, that's a little story within the whole story of the day. And sometimes that will be much shorter, of course. You find often, say, in test matches in India, when the spinners are bowling, Smith bowls to Jones, Jones blocks it back down the pitch. And, and therefore, you can sometimes get a conversation going with your summariser, where the cricket... Perhaps it's not necessarily thrilling because not many runs are being scored. So you can be talking about other things, tell stories at the same time as the action is going on. So you obviously try to make it as interesting as possible. To allow you to be able to do that was probably easier in the past where the commentator, the guy calling the action, 
had a very defined role, yeah, and so did the summarizer or the the color person. Mm. But now the two roles are being slightly mixed up. They have they have a bit, yeah. I mean, when I first started listening to radio commentary, the the commentator would describe the whole over. So someone like Henry Blofeld would describe the whole over. Tony Cozy would describe the whole over, and actually Tony right to the end he did not really like to be interrupted during the middle of the over he said this is my time and then the, the summariser at the end of the over I think Tony sort of probably relented a bit uh, you know there were summarisers that he really liked got on with and he enjoyed having that interaction uh, during an over and sometimes in test matches as we know with the over eights the overs can be extremely long uh, probably longer than they were when I first started listening so <laughs> it has changed and, and the summariser now speaks the whole time or interacts the whole time it's more of a conversation it is more of a, it is more of a conversation but i think you for the listener you really the fundamental it's like the bedrock it's like the foundation of the building really you've got to have that be- beginning middle and end of a ball you've got to feel satisfied that you know exactly what's happened on that ball i know adam mountford the the producer of test match special often talks about owning the ball mm. So what he means is, you know, you d- it does have a beginning, a middle and end. It has a lead in to the delivery and then the delivery itself and then the result of the delivery. And he often used to say, actually, that, or probably still does say, that a lot of people actually like to score the game at home. Mm. You know, they write everything down and they like to get into the tempo of the game. And, it, and actually there is a sort of tempo of watching cricket, isn't there? You know, if you're an experienced cricket watcher or listener, you know when to look up and you know when to sort of perk up again mm. to pick up on the next delivery. And if those deliveries are sort of merged together with general conversation, you just slightly lose the rhythm of the game. Yeah. I think also as well you can you can use your voice to reflect the excitement of the game. So you, there are passages of play when perhaps you are you know, talking in quite a measured way and, and, and you know, it is a, one of those passages of play that are not quite so exciting. But, you know, if you, if you were commentating on the end of the the test match at Headingley last year, the excitement in your voice throughout those last five overs of the match, you know, you you would, as a listener, you would hopefully hear the excitement of the commentator's voice. You know, that would transmit through the radio or through your computer or whatever and give you a real sense of the excitement. There are times, as we all know, in test matches, a bit like life. Test matches in life sort of mirror each other in a way. There are are boring passages in life. There are boring passages in test matches. There are exciting passages in life and exciting passages in test matches. And I think, you know, sometimes... That's I think that's when you move away... As a cricket commentator, as a radio commentator, you you perhaps move away from the game a little bit to talk about other things uh, to, to to liven up the broadcast i think that that when the when the cricket is not mm. quite so compelling and then of course it, 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 you get into trouble then because you get into a, an interesting conversation right. and you've got to interrupt yourself to to commentate on the ball well you? well this is where i think this is where discipline is really important actually is that the and that interaction with the summariser the summariser must pause to so you can concentrate on each ball so the and, ball and you're is good actually uh, you use your hands don't you and I think uh, some commentators are good at that, that because you, you can't really say "shut up." <laughs> no. I'm talking now. <laughs> like to sometimes, so, but but so you actually just put, you push your hand towards a person as if to say, "Talk to my hand for a bit." Uh, just just be quiet while I commentate on the ball. Yeah, because the point is that you can go back to the story after the ball and actually experience summarizers. They get that, you, and you get into a rhythm with someone. But if someone's doing it for the first time, they sometimes talk through the ball, and then that's incredibly frustrating. Well, more for the listener, really, because they want to eat. They want each ball. That's what they've 
uh, tuned in for. Well, I assume that's what they they've tuned in for. So I think they want that they want the action, but they also want the colour around the day as well. They want the stories. They want the background. They want the you know the excitement. And you know the cricket is. I mean, it's such a, a wonderful broad canvas to do almost anything you want with it. In a way, some people say, oh, it can be too self-indulgent. Some people like that. So you know it. You, you can't please everyone the whole time. It's impossible. But what you try to do is get the basics right, and then see and sort of build the build the picture around it. Really build the build the house on the foundations. I, be, I remember actually what, what one uh, it, occasion I was trying to commentate on radio with Curtly Ambrose on one side and Andy Roberts on the other side in a commentary box in Antigua, and you know they've got so much to say mm. both of these guys, and they're on either side of me. And I'm trying, and it was it was a one day international with spinners bowling, like like you said before, mm. spinners bowling very quickly, so no time between balls at all, and each of them wanting to sort of say something interesting about fast bowling or whatever, and and sort of having a bit of banter between each other. So in the end, I mean, I was tempted almost to sit back yeah. and kind of let the whole conversation unfold because the the game wasn't that interesting, but you did have to keep. Yeah. The raw material of of the game just described, so I had to keep interrupting. You know, two great fast bowlers who were having a great time. Yeah, I, that, that's tricky, I and mean, that's because sometimes you think, hold on, I'm I'm interrupting two you know legends of the game here with my description of a spinner bowling and someone blocking it back, someone but nod- nudging it for a single. But you yeah. never know what's going to happen on the ball, so you've got to be with the action just in case something dramatic happens you know it could be a comedy run out or it could you know six into the sea or something like that you have you have to or, or a wicket so you have to be with the action if you're not then I think you're not giving the service that your listener uh, requires and deserves really that's what that's why they they've tuned in so it's, it is a bit like it is a bit like the or, you know the conductor of the orchestra you have you have to get everything try to get everything spot on and you have a, a, a particular set time to commentate yeah. on which, you know, in a way, 20 minutes sounds a short span, but you can say a lot in 20 minutes, and after those 20 minutes, you, do, you know that you need a rest almost, don't yeah. you? It's 20 minutes for a commentator and 30 minutes for a summariser, and that means what, what happens then with the, with the rotor is that you get to work with all sorts of different people during the day. You should do, anyway. You shouldn't necessarily have the same person every time, so you have that variation of voices, and that, that's the reason for those, those timings. Other people do it in a different way. Sometimes you do half an hour's. But generally speaking, it's that feeling that 20 minutes is about the right time for you've said enough in 20 minutes and probably the listener has probably had enough of you after 20 minutes and is happy to hear a, another voice. It's actually, as well, the quickest 20 minutes of your life, that those 20 minutes. They just, they just disappear like that. We'll talk about TV commentary in a minute, but has radio commentary changed a bit in one way in that... Now, a lot of radio commentary is used on highlights clips, which are played on TV or on YouTube. And also, you're quite often in vision as a commentator now. There's lots of social media, uh, filming and so on. So does that make you slightly more self-conscious? And also, you know, when you're commentating on radio and there's a wicket, there is that extra, uh, perhaps, pressure to make sure you get it right, to nail that description because it's going to be used on a, a TV clip as well as on the radio. Yeah, I think, you're, I think you are conscious of it. I think I'm, I'm very conscious of it. Whether everyone else is, I don't know. Uh, if, you're, if you're more from an older commentator, then perhaps not so much. I, mean, I, don't, know, I don't know whether someone like CMJ would have been so conscious of that or, or Henry 
for example, but I think you're much more conscious of it now. I think the other, the other thing as well is that <laughs> you, you talk about you, your commentary being recorded for social media use, is that you're very aware of that because Henry Moran, who's the assistant producer, actually gets his phone out and sort of stands in front of you and, and videos it. So you're, you're very conscious of it, of it happening. There's perhaps in, other, in, t, in TV when you're being recorded, it, there's a constant camera on you the whole time, isn't there? And you probably use I mean, the, the clip of Ian Smith, for example, commentating on the, the World Cup final. That, that camera would have been there all day, presumably. So it wouldn't have been someone just actually doing it for that particular moment. So, yeah, there's, there's, so there, is the, the, there are those really big moments... Um, where you're conscious that, uh, and do you save you, up? You, do you save up? I mean, if you know that it's coming up to a person's hundred, or you know, near the end of the game, and you can see that the, the victory in sight, do you save up certain descriptions, words? Well, I, I don't think you can. You, can, you, you can't. Really, I think you can have an idea. You can have an idea of the story in in your head, but I don't think you can, you know, have a, a script something because what happens might be completely different from the, the script you've written and then the script doesn't work. So I, I, I think you have to be able to, you have to be able to improvise. I think you've got to have a, an idea. You're, you're conscious that a big moment is coming. Um, how could you script, for example, the last ball of the World Cup final? You, you just don't know what's going to happen. OK, you know one side is going to win. But you, Ian Smith called it, it's the bet on TV is the barest margin. That was a word, whatever, phrase that just came to his mind in that moment. He wouldn't have, there's no way you can think that in advance I don't think. Yeah, we'll hear from Ian Smith actually in a bit because he's going to talk about how he sees TV commentary and what are the two key kind of ingredients uh, of when he's working on, on, on TV. Lots of quite amusing characters, different characters to work with on radio and TV. Doesn't always go right does it? Uh, no, it doesn't always go right. Uh, you, 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 I'm sure every day you make you make a, a mistake, whether it's a, a big one or a, a small one. I mean, I, you know, I remember things. I mean, things will go wrong. Um, identification's an issue, and it's actually quite selfishly. It's one of the reasons why I always thought it'd be much better to have names and numbers on the back of shirts in in Test match cricket. It helps. It certainly helps commentators. I hold my hand up for that totally. And but I think it also helps spectators as well. But I mean, I I remember. Being at the an oval test match where Saywag was batting with Tendulkar, and one of them was out, and I think I called it Saywag, and it was Tendulkar. So I'm thinking, hold on a second, I've just called Saywag out when actually the world's most famous batsman has been dismissed, and I didn't recognise it. But from a distance, with helmets on, and you know, without numbers, and without some some scoreboards, they have a little light up or. You, you in the television box, you have a an indication of who's on strike, don't you? So you can sometimes just, you, they get that wrong. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Sometimes I got the wrong person on. But you yeah. can normally you can just look at it on your screen and know exactly who's on strike. Well, we don't have that in radio, so uh, well we don't have it very often. Sometimes we do. So I know it seems weird to think sometimes you don't know who's on strike, but from a distance, two cricketers wearing helmets. Everyone, everyone's got the similar sort of physique these days, and I th- I think didn't even I think even. Verenda Saywag's mother said, when I'm watching Tendulkar and Saywag bat, sometimes I don't know which is which. So I, I sort of hid behind that a bit. But, yeah, you have those embarrassing moments. Uh, and, and sometimes you talk about the, some of the characters. I remember sometimes things pop into your head and you say them and you think, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I remember, I remember it didn't actually work out quite well in the end. In Being in Gaul, uh, an England-Sri Lanka test match, I can't remember why it, why it came up at that moment. But Geoffrey was next to me and I said, oh, but, oh, yeah, but when you were batting, Geoffrey... You just used to send them to sleep. 
And I didn't mean to say that because it's sort of, you know, you have to have, you have to have some respect towards Jeffrey a little bit. <laughs> really? Do you know what I mean? Well, you, you do. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, eight thousand Test runs, and you know, he was a trem- he was a tremendous player, tremendous technician. And I thought I didn't mean to say that. Well, how is he going to react? And he said, "Yeah, but I I was still batting when they woke up." Which is a great, which is actually a great line. It just made me laugh, and it, it diffused the situation, um, which could have got you know everything. Well, you know, who the hell are you, lad, to say that to me? Which is true, you know, it's fair enough, isn't it, really? Um, but he, he actually diffused it very well, and I, I, I thought, yeah, think, think sometimes before you speak, which is also a good piece of advice for any young commentator. Well, you've grilled me a bit there on radio commentary. What, what about TV commentary? What, what are you trying to achieve as a, as a television commentator? It's completely different, actually, to radio. And I think it goes back to uh, a fairly uncomplimentary remark made to me once by a BBC head of sport when I just started out as a commentator. And he heard a, a piece of uh, analysis I'd attempted to do on some game. And he just sort of leant over and, and whispered in my ear, if you haven't got anything interesting to say, don't say anything. <laughs> Thanks very much. But in a way, not a bad initial piece of advice. You've got to add to the pictures because everybody can see the pictures. Uh, and if you just repeat what is on the pictures, you're mm. not really doing your job. No. So obviously if you're the commentator, so, I mean, commentary in, in TV is similar to radio in a way in that one person is normally nominated on the rotor as the number one commentator, so they'll be calling the action, and the second and sometimes third person are adding the colour and the insight and so on. So th- there's a little bit of, of similarity, but certainly that the second person needs to be really adding to those pictures. Generally, it will be the first person will commentate on the action and then the second person will come in on the replay. And the replay is so slow usually that it's very clear what has happened. So certainly what I've always tried to do is is explain why it happened and get a bit deeper into what the bowler or batsman was thinking both before the ball and during it and after it. Uh, You know, what's the reaction? What was the, the strategy there? Why did that happen? So to really add some insight. And you obviously have a lot of stats. Uh, You have a thing which we call the fruit machine in TV, which is all these stats, uh, partnerships and individual scores, bowling figures, uh, run rate, the the, the speed of the delivery, all sorts of other little details that you can add in, you can throw in to that moment just to give the, the, the viewer a little bit more understanding, appreciation of the, 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 the context of that particular incident. And then, obviously, you can develop conversations a little bit like radio, but you need the pictures to illustrate them. And so a lot of commentators on TV start talking about some story, and I can hear the director in my ear, or imaginary in my ear, sort of thinking, well, how am I going to illustrate this? He's yeah. talking about a play, he's not even here, and some incident from years ago. Sometimes, actually, you can get a graphic up of an old game. Yeah that you can illustrate, say, you know, talk about Graham Gooch's 3-3-3 at Lords in 1990 or something, you could get a graphic up of that innings, perhaps. But there is... Uh, when you say graphic, you better explain what a, a graphic score, is. So, so a caption, yeah. you know, a, a scorecard, <laughs> a, a scorecard on the screen. Uh, so, you know, there are lots of ways of using text 
to illustrate your point as well. And obviously, the graphics that TV companies produce now are very intricate. And there's lots of other ways, like using Hawkeye graphics and things like that, to explain. You know, we've got new words in cricket coverage now, like beehive and wagon wheel, which people have yeah. become sort of familiar with, which add to the, the whole story. But in the end, I think you still have to tell a story as well. And each incident is, is a part of that story. And, you know, it's good to try and encapsulate it if you can. It's, it's interesting how it's changed, isn't it, as well, because the technology now is so much faster. I mean, when I started in TV, so sort of mid-90s, there was one little transit van that was the VT, the videotape operators, so a couple of replay angles and you know, a bit of sort of production, sound production or something. So there's only a team of about 10 or 11 people uh, in one little van to man the replays and, and all the other technical things. And... If you wanted to show, even in the early days of Channel 4, if you wanted to show a wicket from a previous test match, you had to have it on tape. And so you wanted to show that, you know, this was how Graham thought was out last week. You had to get a tape, stick it in a tape machine, wind back to wherever Graham thought was out in that last day's play at Old Trafford, find it, log it onto a, another little digital recorder and have it ready to play. And how long would that, that take? That, that could take 10 minutes. So actually, in, towards the end of, of the Channel 4 sort of first three years, I had a stock of tapes in the truck, probably about 20 tapes high, each of them labelled with different matches and different incidents that we could quickly rustle up if something happened and stick it in the machine and sort of record just that little bit and then play it out. But now, you know, the machinery they've got in the, in the trucks, these little tiny things called EVS machines, which is like a very sophisticated tape recorder with lots of buttons on it and a sort of a joystick kind of operation which drives the, the tape. And they can have hundreds of wickets and all sorts of replays from all sorts of different angles from several months stored in that that can be accessed at the touch of a button so you know now when the commentator nasa is saying somebody like that says give me the the wicket of ollie pope from the last test bang it's there in 20 seconds and as you're commentating as well people i think people don't necessarily realize this that you you can actually speak to the uh, director or or producer or the, say, or the vt department uh, or whatever, and say i yeah can you can you give me this yeah you can you can sort of talk off off Mike yeah, it's called the lazy. That. Yeah. Now, Richie Bennett always used to come in in the mornings, and when we were testing out the sound, you know, he'd say, "Right, and it's uh, ten fifty-five, and this is on the lazy." And he'd press a little button, and then, and this is to the world, you know, and just to check the sound before we actually went on air. What about when things go wrong in television? Richie Bennett was was, was brilliant actually at responding to when things went wrong. I, I remember one classic incident when it was. Uh, it was a Sunday of a test match and I was trying to do some drawing on the screen using what we call the Telestrator, which is a sort of electronic pencil, and something got stuck. And so instead of drawing a couple of nice neat lines of where the ball had been hit, suddenly this pen just drew hundreds of lines all over the screen. It looked like a plate of spaghetti all over the screen and I couldn't stop it. I was trying to pull the pen away from the, from the screen and it was making it even worse. So... In those sort of 30 seconds that I had in between overs, I had to kind of try and explain my mistake. And then I handed back to Richie with 
uh, I'm very sorry uh, about the uh, about the this mess I've made on the screen. And Richie instantly said, don't worry about that, Simon. It was a very interesting piece of analysis. And by the way, Picasso used to struggle on Sundays sometimes. So, you know, he was just very good at, at diffusing a nervous moment. I mean, there are all sorts of incidents that happen when you're presenting to a live camera. And actually, commentators' most anxious moments are nearly always connected to monitors because you go out into the middle and if you want to talk about some archive footage or a previous game or wickets that have happened yesterday or something like that, you will need a monitor positioned on the ground out in the middle or in the studio that's showing you what you're talking about. So you'll cut from speaking to camera to introduce this little bit of footage and then your eyes go onto the monitor to describe what's being played out. And I was uh, describing some Australian wickets in an Ashes test match. I was out in the middle and I was looking back at yesterday's Ashes wickets and I had this monitor out and I had a rather nervous-looking monitor operator who was sort of carrying it, looking a little bit uncertain about what he was supposed to do. And it's often quite hard to see a monitor in bright sunlight as well because of the reflections, but he was trying to get it at the right angle and... So just when I led into, well, these are the wickets that, that Warner McGrath took yesterday, um, the st- it started out with McGrath's wicket, and then something happened, and it went over to an episode of Neighbours. <laughs> and, and I was suddenly looking at, at this soap opera instead, but I could hear in my earpiece that these wickets were still going through, so the viewer was seeing the wickets, but I was seeing Neighbours. And so I just totally lost it, and I didn't know how to commentate on that at all. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was one of those sort of stupid things. Is it on YouTube, that, or not? I doubt it. <laughs> Hopefully they wiped it. I think... I always think... One of the things... When I've done some television commentary and done some television in general, one of the hardest things I always found is you get so much in your ears, don't you? Uh, so you're... On radio, generally, we do get some... You know, people speaking in our ears from time to time. But in TV, it's... it's happening the whole time isn't it and how do you concentrate on the game and your co-commentator when you've got all this mm. stuff going on you know it might be you, you hear things like right camera seven now camera two uh, pick up camera three come on closer closer camera three c- camera four and you get all this going on at the same time how do you how do you concentrate how do you shut that out well you do shut it out and you only really know when you're listening for your name or, in my case, rap, <laughs> and that means shut up. Uh, I think it, it's sort of it's that sort of background noise, and you, you learn to, to ignore it, unless it's actually, look at the right camera, Yozza, mm-hmm. you know, because you're looking at the wrong one, uh, or, you know, five seconds, Yozza, rap, or something like that. And then and, and the best directors, and there was a guy, there still is a guy called Rob Shearlock, an Australian who used to work for Channel 9, and then he worked for Channel 4, who's just the most calm, composed, laid-back director who would just only occasionally need to say anything. Mm. And you knew when he said something that you needed to listen to it. And he just sort of let it all sort of wash over him. He kept brilliant control by just, you know, mixing the cameras really neatly. But he could sense almost what the commentator was going to say even before he said it. He had that sort of ESP. And so he almost presented you with this picture of some particular thing you were talking about, even before you'd actually thought of it yourself. He was sort of guiding you kind of thing. Um, 
you get other com- uh, other directors who shout and scream, and you just turn them down or even turn them <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ian Smith, we mentioned him. He commentated on the the end of the, the World Cup final for for television. This is how he approaches TV commentary. I would say say seventy percent of what you were going to say. In other words, just space it out a bit more. I mean, the best in the business, yours was, was Richie. Richie Benno, without doubt, the best in the business. Um, and he was often reminding people that we are in the business of pictures and in the, the viewers are not absolutely stupid and they do have the ability to make up their own minds. So my advice to um, a lot of guys and, and gals, we've got a few gals on our commentary team now, is, is to just let it breathe a bit and, and just say... Don't say something that's just been said. Don't say something that is clearly obvious. Uh, just, you know, tone it down a wee bit and put more value in what you're saying rather than just spreading it out to fill a hole. Every time I go to cricket, I want to try and discover something more or explain something better than I did the day before or come up with a theory that comes off. I mean, that, to me, that's the, the great joy of commentating. And if you don't want to go out and be damn good at something, um, then don't do it, really. Give, it, give someone else a go. I certainly think Ian Smith is the best. And I think he's the best because, as he said there, he tries to continue to reinvent descriptions. He's not just saying, he nailed that for four. Or, yeah, that's a maximum. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got lots of different phrases. He's, he, and he, he, he talks in a very natural, lovely, sort of flowing way. He's also got that element of humour about him all the time. He talks with a twinkle in his eye. Or as I know you sort of like to say, uh, he talks with a smile on his face yeah. as well, which yeah. you can sort of tell. He loves it, and and and, and yet he also keeps a perspective. Mm. So, I mean, talking about you know commentating with a, a smile on your face. Talk about the different sort of the sound of, of commentary now. More women. I'm mean, someone like Ebony Rainford Brent. She is someone who commentates with a smile on your face. You can, when you're listening to her, you can you can see her smile. If if, if you sort of mean if that doesn't if that makes sense and i think that's that's an important thing you know you're you're going into people's lives into their homes into their cars whatever uh, if you're listening on a computer or on a on a on a phone so you you have to be really conscious of that and that's the other thing as well i mean talk about sometimes the, the criticisms that, that people bring up about i don't know so much about tv tv is not a problem with this because you can see it on the screen but uh, certainly on radio is what's the score people don't mention the score enough people say i drove from you know, London to Brighton, and you, no one mentioned the score, and you think that's that's impossible. Surely that's impossible not to mention the score when you're at a cricket match, uh, and you're you're really conscious of it as a as a commentator, trying to mention the score as much as possible. Um, but it seems that there are times when you, you know you have passages of play that go by five, ten minutes without the score. Of course, on TV, it's not a problem because it's it's always up there. Lots of information now, and that's a, you know that's a change, isn't it? Lots of information on the screen, and it's changing even more. Mm. In fact, uh, I had a a consultation recently with Sky, and just looking at the way they're going to cover the hundred, particularly the new tournament, and there are thoughts of you know new graphics and new ways of relaying the score. One of the things that TV has never done effectively is, and this is a a bit of a cliche, I suppose, or, you know, those who love cricket will wonder why this is necessary. But I do get asked a lot, who's winning? You know, people come up to me and go, well, who's winning? Especially people who aren't necessarily diehard cricket fans. And it's very hard to 
display that as a graphic. We've tried things like um, a sort of speedometer, you know, where or, or, you know where a needle is sort of flicking backwards and forwards one side to the other, a bit like a, a compass kind mm. of idea, mm. you know, one way or the other, sort of uh, favouring one side or the other, or uh, a share price, uh, where it goes up and down, yeah. rising and falling. So, you know, I, I think that the concept now might be some kind of bar, uh, like a block, like a like a, a tower block almost, going up, vertically up the screen, and that shows a team's progression towards their target. A bit like, you know, when you load a website and you get that green bar gradually going from 30, 40, 50 to 100% because you've loaded the whole website, or one of those in a, a vertical plane to try and illustrate a team's progress, how far they've got towards their target. Certainly, you know, the old-fashioned way of displaying the score, again, will sometimes uh, get confuse people because I remember one time um, I was at home, you know, and the kids were mucking around and I was uh, upstairs and I shouted down to my mother-in-law because the cricket was on, uh, what's the score of some county game? What was the score? And she shouted back, 100 minus 2. So, and, and it, you know, it, it, obviously, you know, regular cricket fans will, will, sing, will think, well, why didn't she understand it's 100 for two? But, you know, people don't. Yeah. Sometimes they look at those numbers on the yeah. screen and they are very confusing. So yeah. it's important the game remembers that, especially when they're trying to introduce a new audience. It's a, it's a very good point, actually. And people listening to say, no, come on, that's ridiculous. But actually, if I sometimes, if I'm at home and I'm switching to the channels and I put on baseball... I don't understand all the graphics on the screen. You ha- it takes... A, uh, some would say, well, that, you know, take time to, to work it out. But I suppose we live in a, a society now where we sort of want that information explained to us straight away, don't we? But, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, isn't it? We, we just assume that people should know what 100-2 means, but why should they? That's an interesting point. Now, we did a, a podcast a few weeks ago about mental health in cricket yeah. and anxiety and nerves and how the players dealt with the pressure of the game. What about commentators? When you're commentating live, do you have anxious moments? Do you get nervous? Um, yeah, I think that's good for you as well because I think it really makes you it makes you concentrate. But I, I probably, though, you are best when you are relaxed. I always find the first day of a test match the hardest, probably because there's, you're a bit, you go into it cold... Um, so you know because it's the first day you haven't been commentating for a few days so you're it, it, it's a bit like the the start of a race or the start of a match or whatever and I find that once you get into the into it you're a, a you got the context of the game as well second day third day you've got the context of the game so you sort of understand how the, where the game is going whereas first day you're a little bit in the dark and perhaps that you know that first session on the first day of a Lord's Test match uh, yeah, it, you, well, because you, you feel that. that. I suppose it comes through from the audience as well, from the crowd, yeah. doesn't it? And, and the players, and, and, and the players, players. And yeah, the everybody's players. sort of yeah. slightly on edge yeah. that first morning, and you do feel that that kind of uh, anticipation, excitement, isn't it? I mean, I always say actually to when my kids are going out to bat or whatever, I mean, which is I, I'm more nervous watching my kids play cricket mm. than I've ever been doing anything else in my life, and that includes playing and commentating. But I think one of the things I've always said to them when they say they feel nervous is it's actually excitement. Mm. Nerves is just your heightened anticipation and awareness and, you know, you're just antennae are just that bit more sensitive to what's going on. But that's good. 
because mm. it means you're sparky, it means you're alert, it means you want it, you know, it means you're really engaged. And so that's that's all good for me. Yeah. I, I, probably, though, you're, you, you, you commentate at your best when you are relaxed rather than being up uptight. Yeah, well, it's a bit like driving a car, isn't it? And actually, that's the true with batting as well. Mm. Not that I should really know about batting, but, you know, definitely, if you talk to most batsmen, they bat best when they're in this state of relaxed alertness, yeah. which is the same as driving a car. You know, if you're on edge driving a car, if you've got a bit of rage or somebody's really annoying you in the back seat or something like that, yeah. you know, you can end up driving a bit jerkily. Mm. But if you're just calm and enjoying the kind of whole ambience of the car, and but yet still, you know, keenly looking at the road, that's probably when you, you drive and commentate at your best. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you, you do get nerves. It's actually, I think it's the funny thing about it is it... it it strikes you at odd times. Why, you know, why am I particularly nervous today? I, you can't sometimes put your finger on it. I think also as well, there are occasions when you know that there's going to be a huge moment in the game, or the game is coming to a, a climax, and you, you you sense the you know the whole country listening. I mean, you know, the, I don't know what I, I haven't spoken to Jonathan about it actually doing the the end of the World Cup final, where he sort of had a sense that this is this is you know probably one of the biggest moments of. Of my career and Smith as well, you know, he would have had a sense of this is everybody is who's interested in cricket in the world is watching this, or in Jonathan's case, listening to it. Jonathan Agnew, you know, whether you feel that sense of oh, I better not mess this up, you know, whether there's that person on your shoulder going, don't mess this up, don't mess this up, or whether on the other shoulder saying, gosh, this is this is why I you know came into this job, you know, for this moment, you know, this is this is absolutely fantastic. It's probably a little bit of both, actually, isn't it? You probably try and brush the one off your left shoulder that's saying, don't mess this up, don't mess this up. Actually, I uh, I regret that a mistake I made in that climax of the 2005 Ashes when I had a, a little urn. Uh, an ashes urn positioned on the the desk in the videotape truck, which was sort of in vision. So in the foreground, whenever the camera came to me in between overs, uh, there was this ashes urn in the foreground. And when England clearly had regained the ashes, uh, Ashley Giles had got to 50, I think, on that last day at the Oval. And it was clear that Australia Mm. couldn't now win the match and it was going to be a draw. And I came in with a little bit of a highlight of... Ashley Giles innings and finished and what I wanted to say was that Ashley Giles performance has ensured that England have regained the ashes but I said retained and oh I mean I'd thought about it I knew I had to say regained but it came out as retained and someone on commentary probably Mark Nicholas said I think you mean yeah. regained, yeah. actually, Yozza. And you and live live TV, live radio, you cannot go back you over. Can't take it, it back. You, you can't. You can't take it back. There was that moment, wasn't there? When when Ian Botham swept Ray Bright for six to go yes. to a hundred at, at Old, Old Trafford. At Old Trafford in 1981, Jim Laker said, "What a magnificent way to go to a six when he actually made a hundred, didn't he? And everyone knew what he meant. But it's it's sort of always there. It's always there. I suppose you could. You, sometimes what happens in in, in in TV is you can redub it, can't you? You can do do a different voiceover over the over the commentary, um, which which sometimes happens to overcome a mistake. Um, but obviously, or a podcast, or a, well, in a podcast but, rather. But you want you know you any self respecting commentator wants to get it right the first time. You want to find the right words. Are there perfect words? Not really, are there? They're just. There are words that you hope work and, and resonate with the people who are, 
and listening. Uh, and, and you have to hand it to somebody like Richie Bennett because he was always able to just get the, the words right. And they were often not many words, actually. Sometimes, as Ian Smith says, you know, less is more, sub it down a bit. So, you know, when England won that incredible test match at Edgbaston by two runs, it was just Jones, Bowden, Kasparovic, the man to go. You know, it was yeah. just very simple. Yeah. And, of course, you know, his classic into the confectionery stall and out again yeah. was, you know, again, a beautiful encapsulation of the whole scene of that amazing both innings at Headingley. Perhaps we should end by talking about how it's changed or how it might change, how TV and radio commentary might change over the years. I mean, I, I certainly think uh, radio commentary will change in that there will be more diversity in the, in the commentary box. You You will find... I think as time goes on, a fifty-fifty split between uh, men and women. I think I think that, that that it's all beginning to happen, and I think that will change more and more as, as time goes on. I think there'll be more engagement with the players, uh, and it's starting to happen actually more in Australia than so much at home, uh, where we, we saw it last uh, winter in uh, watching the BT coverage, didn't we, of uh, Australia, Pakistan, and so on, where Spider Cam now has. Not only a camera, yeah. but it's got a microphone on it as well, and a speaker. So it dips down to the players at drinks, say, or when a bowler's at the start of his run-up, and asks them a question. One of the commentators asks them a question, you know, what are you thinking of bowling now? And, and that is happening even more in the shorter formats, T20, where a player is mic'd up. You get a, an AB de Villiers keeping wicket and actually virtually commentating. In fact, Glenn Maxwell was brilliant during the Big Bash, commentating as he was bowling, saying, well, I'm going to bowl a slightly quicker one here, stop him from hitting me over deep mid-wicket or whatever. And, uh, you know, our commentators are going to eventually become redundant. <laughs> that, that was what I was going to say. You just get the players to commentate on what they're doing. Who was the, who was the West Indian batsman who used to commentate on himself? Carlisle Best. Carlisle Best used to commentate on, on himself batting, didn't he? And that, well, that, perhaps that's what, where it's all going to end. We... Boycott. Boycott used to commentate <laughs> on him batting. A stick of rhubarb. Look at that technique. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? We're going to be redundant in the future. Uh, but we've, we've enjoyed ourselves. It's been a fantastic... It's the best time you can have at work, I think, commentating on cricket. There aren't, there aren't many jobs that are better, I don't think. And people have great fun doing their jobs, some some people. But it's it's a fantastic way. It's a fantastic privilege. But we're going to be redundant. We're gonna, the, players, <laughs> the players are going to commentate on themselves in the future. You, you, you can almost see it happening, couldn't you? Which means more and more podcasts for the like, from the likes of us. It certainly doesn't feel like work, you're right. And it's a privilege to be paid to do something which is totally fun. And I think there'll always be commentators. We'll always be needed just to give it a bit of perspective. Let's hope so. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.